Welcome to the Bar Variations Podcast. Go behind the bar with me, your host, Michelle Duvall, as I interview leaders in the bar industry. We'll talk about how bar impacts their lives, what's inspiring them today, and take the conversations that usually stay in the studio out into the community. Grab a seat because there's plenty of room at the bar. Are you a social bar butterfly or just getting started in bar fitness? Do you want to feel good and look good during your sweat session? If the answer is yes, you must visit fitforbar.com and shop their exclusive activewear and athleisure styles designed for your bar workout and beyond. From hats to bar socks and everything in between, each piece from this female-owned boutique has been bar-tested and approved from the best in the business. And with free domestic shipping, easy returns, and a buy-now-pay-later option, fitforbar.com provides an online shopping experience fit for a bar queen. So go ahead and treat yourself to some new apparel from fitforbar.com. You deserve it. Happy shopping. All right, Bar Variations podcast listeners, I've got a great exclusive deal for you. I know one thing for sure, and that's that we all have too many grippy socks in our closet, but we can't get enough. So (laughs) the Point Studio has offered you, the listeners, a discount on their amazing grippy socks. They're the next best thing from being barefoot. You get 15% off your order with the code BAR VARIATIONS. That's code BAR VARIATIONS, all one word, to receive 15% off your next purchase at pointstudio.com. Want a one-stop shop for all your bar needs? Over the past few years, Bar Where You Are has continued to evolve to offer something for every bar enthusiast out there. Through their ever-growing on-demand workout library, weekly live stream options, small in-person classes, and multiple instructor trainings and workshops, Bar Where You Are strives to deliver joy, accessibility, and a sense of community. Oh, and did I mention their super cute bar swag for all you bar babes? Head over to www.barwhereyouaresc.com to check out all they have going on and use promo code BVBWYA for 10% off. If you're a certified hashtag bar addict like I am, then you can definitely appreciate a bar-inspired graphic tank top or sweatshirt. Good news for those of us who can't get enough, Bar Goods Co. has apparel designed for and inspired by Bar. And if you need that extra little bit of motivation to get yourself to class, you'll be happy to know they use only the softest fabrics available to help you express your love of the bar world. Check out their go-to line of screen-printed goodies including workout tops, sweatshirts, and even infant onesies for bar addicts in training. Plus, they've recently introduced digital products including creative resources for bar professionals and studio owners to take the guesswork out of what to post online so you can spend more time managing your business and less time worrying about what you're going to post on Instagram. 
And guess what? Listeners of the Bar Variations podcast can use the code VARIATIONS25 to take 25% off their first order. That's code VARIATIONS25 in all lowercase letters. Visit bargoods.com now to start shopping. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the Bar Variations podcast. I'm here today with Andrea Isabel Lucas, owner of Bar and Soul, author extraordinaire of Own It All, and the founder of Bar Guild Academy. Welcome, welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy that we're doing this. Um, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, and then having read your book, I can't wait to ask the questions. I feel like I get like a little inside scoop on the book and everything that you're doing. And I'm happy to share this with the listeners as well. Um, So first up, I always ask all of my interviewees the same question of where did your movement journey begin? Mm. So, you know, honestly, I was not an athlete in high school or anything like that. And I uh, really found bar was the first fitness method I ever got into. And that was in about 2006 when I was pregnant with my daughter. And um, I immediately fell in love with it. It was the first thing I ever truly looked forward to over and over again, like couldn't wait to go back. And uh, it just spoke to me. And I actually began even training before she was born uh, to be a teacher and began teaching uh, when she was an infant. And that was in 2007. I definitely, I always find that bar is either love at first class or it's like, oh, you had to like really find your people in the right um, method, which is always a fun question to ask people. Um, But having done bar throughout my pregnancy, I do feel like I used to be like, oh no, Pilates is the best. I was a Pilates girl first and it's bar. If you can stand and you're pregnant and you can like lean on a bar, you're like, this is perfect. It's low impact. So it really is for every body and anyone can do it. Um, So I've certainly fallen more in love with it. Obviously I have a whole podcast about it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, No, I totally agree. It is for everybody. And I mean, when I say that I have had NBA players, NHL players, women in their seventies, pregnant women, and like everyone is getting their butt kicked at the appropriate level, you know, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I always like to say it's like you find your support at the bar and you um, can take that into the center of the room and out into the world, right? Mm-hmm. So wherever, whatever level you're at, you can um, apply it to the rest of your life, even metaphorically, which we'll get into more of the yoga sure. later. Um, but so you started first teaching with Exhale Spa and, you know, upon finding bar through them and through, you know, your first experiences or some of the first experiences you had, what was it about the culture that attracted you most to their community? Mm. Well, I actually started at a tiny boutique studio with a woman who had been daily method trained and then later went on to teach for Exhale. So um, that was my first exposure. And so really Exhale was my second bar teaching job. And when I tell you I was so starry-eyed over Exhale and so um, nervous to approach them and, you know, really had to psych myself up to apply to be teaching there. And when I did, um, I, I was just so honored and grateful to be a part of Exhale. And I would say what attracted me to the culture, I mean, honestly, to sum it up is Elizabeth and Fred. I mean, I know that you've um, 
had them on the podcast and I haven't yet they're on my list so I'm glad you're shouting them out because they are definitely on the list I don't know them personally so yes you can tell me more and I'll oh, okay brave to ask them <laughs> all right well let's strike that and I'll start over um oh, no, is that cool yeah do you mind no. um why do I think you've had them on the podcast I'm, I had Bar Summit actually on the podcast. That's, yeah, that's, I guess what I'm thinking of. Cause I know you were involved in Bar Summit this year. Okay. Let's strike that. And I want to go back to when I said what I love about, what I loved about the culture. Yeah. Okay. Um, so to summarize what I loved about the culture at Exhale, really to sum that up is to just say that I absolutely loved Elizabeth and Fred and the culture that they created there. You know, they have been such OGs in the bar world and in the Lottie Burke world, and they have seen it all. And their stories are just so hilarious, shocking, fascinating. I mean, after decades and decades and thousands of classes, um, I can't even imagine how many thousands of classes that they've taught. They just have seen it all. And I think that they, by the time they arrived at Exhale, they um, were really passionate to create what needed to be created in the bar studio culture, which was um, soulfulness mindfulness, of course, such excellence, such incredible attention to detail and um, respect for the art and the craft of teaching bar, but doing so in a way that really speaks to the whole person. And uh, while it may be technically executed with such precision, we're always speaking to um, non-ego, non-competition with yourself and others, making smart and sustainable choices for your body and really honoring and respecting um, the individual. Mm, I love that. It sounds like you had such a great mentorship with the, both of them. They're, they just seem like such a power couple working together as a team and bringing forth their mission to everyone. Now, can you share maybe some invaluable lessons or lesson that you've learned from them as mentors? Mm. I will share that, you know, um, I've learned some great lessons from Fred around just classroom management and how to really hold uh, the space effectively and authoritatively in a way that creates like a safe container, um, using music really uh, skillfully right down to making sure you've got music playing before and after class in the room because it completely sets the tone and sets the vibe and creates an environment where people can chit chat and you know start to get psyched and warmed up for the class one of the greatest tidbits uh, that I often quote that I got from Fred was around when you have made a mistake or something has gone wrong in class say, you went to give somebody an adjustment and they brushed you off or, you know, you forgot to do something on the left side that, you know, that you did on the right side or whatever. Um, you know, Fred really taught me that when you catch yourself going into like a thought spiral, like a snowball where you're like starting to lose your class because you're obsessing over your mistake, you see it happen, you stop yourself and you go, okay, that happened. I acknowledge it. And now I'm becoming present. Now I'm coming back to the present moment what's happening now, head back in the game and go. And I think that that is huge. Even if, say if you were hosting a podcast or something, if you, you know, or, or speaking on stage, if something, if you flub something up, just catching yourself when you begin to ruminate and coming back to the present moment and just like re-engaging 
and, and, you know, rebooting. Mm -hmm. And then as far as Elizabeth, you know, what I want to say, the biggest thing that I have learned from her is just how to have such a gracious presence. And when I say presence, I don't just mean presence, like how you appear presence, like being present. Um, Liz is someone who uses your name a lot when she's speaking to you. She makes such um, attentive eye contact and you just feel totally uh, seen and acknowledged and really taken in. And I, I mean, I know that this is going to sound a little sappy, but I feel like Liz is one of those people you can almost like see her aura. Like she just glows with loveliness. And um, so that's something I've really, I think, learned from. So many great things to touch upon there. I'm so with Fred on the setting the tone of the class with the music. I always feel like that's the first introduction of myself to my students, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's the vibe, it's the atmosphere. And I think that's something that dancers do very well because it's ingrained in them, to them the time that they're like walking into their first True. classroom, right? So it's just kind of part of the, the setting, the scene, right? It's the, that stage performance aspect where what experience are you asking your people to come into? Where are you meeting them at? I love that. Um, mm-hmm. And then also that power of the pause. Um, hearing from my own mentors, like when I'm speaking, I'm a fast stumbly talker and I like can just rattle off whatever. But when you learn to take your time, you really can engage people in, right? I already Mm -hmm. have time, even just giving the example, I'm like, ah, but it really is the power of the pause. You can always start again. You can Mm -hmm. always slow down. You don't have to like double down into whatever mistake or whatever trip up or whatever thing that you're doing even mm-hmm. if you know you're giving an exercise or a series and you're like you know what this isn't working <laughs> let's do something else you know or hey let's take it back a minute you know there's always mm-hmm. room to the pause and I love that and it sounds that like Elizabeth too just having her aura her presence of being present um mm-hmm is super powerful and I mean, amazing lessons to take away from mentors and, um, you know, I'll get into the culture that you created with bar and soul in a little bit. Um, but I'm curious, cause there's another woman in your life in the bar world that you trained with Esther Fairfax as mm-hmm. well. Um, yes. I had the lovely pleasure of meeting her one time in person. I took her class. It was brave. And I drove in England, which on the other side of the road, I was like driving four hours from my sister's house. I'm like, I need to meet this woman. I feel like she's my spirit animal. Like I just oh. have to do it. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do this again. And hello, pandemic. I was pregnant. I couldn't get there. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy I did. So can you share with wow. the uh, listeners, um, at what point did you discover Esther Fairfax, who is Lottie Burke's daughter and how mm-hmm. did that come about? Um, I guess I discovered Esther around... 2017. That's when I trained with her. And I sort of vaguely remembered hearing that Lottie Burke had a daughter that had also trained, but I didn't realize that she still had a studio or that she was training, you know, any students. So I had no idea that you could still go and take class with her and train with her. And, um, and you're absolutely right. It is, it's a drive 
because she's not in in London. She's really out in the countryside, this beautiful um, little town called Hungerford. And so I uh, discovered in 2017 that not only was she still teaching, but she was still training and that you could train with her. And um, I just immediately was so fascinated. Uh, I read her book, her first memoir, My Improper Mother and Me. And I mean, when I tell you I was crying within the first 12 pages or so, I mean, it is so remarkable. I always knew that Lottie Burke was kind of a character and kind of saucy. Mm. Um, I was not prepared for the level of personality that Lottie really had. And I mean, it's apparent on page one. And Esther her memoir is so brave. Like she shares so vulnerably about her mother who was inspiring and exciting and artistic, but also really challenging as a personality and as a really unconventional mother. And, um, which, you know, in a way is really cool. And it challenged a lot of societal norms way before her time and, um, was, certainly made for a challenging childhood for Esther. And she shared so much about her, you know, difficult relationship with her mother, as well as her father, and so many of her own uh, vulnerabilities from being married super young to a man who was an alcoholic and living in extreme poverty, to bulimia, to um, depression and suicidal thoughts, there's just so much that Esther has been through and overcome. And not only has she overcome it, she's overcome it with such grace mm. and forgiveness and perspective and like kindness that um, I, I just was so taken in uh, by her memoir and mm. so giddy and, and honored and like starstruck, you know, when we ever had that first phone conversation where I asked if I could train with her, it was just, oh, I'll never forget. Yeah, you you hit nailed it on the head. Her grace and her uh, ability to be non-judgmental in the way of forgiving people in a way for who they are. You know, she mm-hmm. forgave her mother for who she was, and, and she came to terms with that and accepted it in a way where she was still able to have a relationship with her. And um, she's an extraordinary story. So if nobody, if you haven't read the book yet you got to read it because we mm-hmm. do we hear these stories of, um, oh, she's a personality or a character. We like to cherry pick the, the like fun and funny and quirky things. And it, you know, there's also a lot of darkness in that too. And mm-hmm. I don't think to be ignored. And also I think, you know, there's a resurgence in Esther's uh, legacy and, mm-hmm. you know, people like yourself pre- preserving that legacy because we talk so much about Lottie Burke and we like do the happy birthday on her birthday and there's still her you know her daughter is out there in her legacy and she's still training and teaching the same people for over 50 years and I don't think she gets enough credit for that um, and I'm happy to see it being given more because of all the work she's done and the loyalty that she's given to her mother and the work that um, she's done, she's an extraordinary person. And then her house and her, and talking about presence and the ambiance and the, the down to the music and the oh. way she talks and the music, it's just so, it's like, you're a part of like a live performance. You're like in it. And then you're hundred percent so welcoming. And what really struck me was um, starting in a circle and the way mm-hmm. that she 
brought me, you know, I was the only outsider there that day. And, you know, these women have known her her whole life and the way that they were, um, you know, interacting with me and wanted to know who I was and all, like, oh, what do you do? What are you going to do while you're here? Like, it just was so welcoming and so, mm. so lovely. And um, she has a very rigorous training. So <laughs> she has that duality of like, come in, I love you. And then all of a sudden she has her little whip out and you're like, ah! like, <laughs> 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 yeah. Not that she's beating anybody, but just her little, like, uh, you know, mm. to get get you uh lifting that leg a little higher um Mm -hmm. you know what was it like during your training so after you met her and once you started going through the training can you share a little bit more about what that was like yes um I want to say I and we should say I don't think we've said it that Esther is 86 and and still doing this so like yes (laughs) talk about a freaking powerhouse first of all and everything you said I mean her studio is in her home which is the most charming sort of timelessly chic from her interior design sense, which is very like minimalist Scandinavian, like mid-century modern, um, to her her fashion sense and the way that she dresses and her big sunglasses and her, um, you know, Hermes blazer and her, um, or her Saint Laurent blazer and her uh, leotard and tights, you know, all black, very chic, like, She's just remarkable. And the women in her class, some of them in their 70s and 80s, like, I felt like I got my butt handed to me by some of these women who have been studying with Esther for all these years. And she's so charismatic. And like you said, so welcoming, such a performer, such a star. Um, You know, you, it's like you get her in an interview or you get her in front of a class. And as soon as she's on, like she is on the shoulders go back and the chin goes up and like the personality just comes out in her wit. Um, and just her kind of showmanship is so remarkable. And I hadn't, I had never experienced something like that. And, you know, she did, she has mentioned to me that she, she did travel to New York city a few years back and she peeked into a bar class that was happening at a gym in New York city, um, in our American way of teaching bar. And she was really so appalled at how militant, um, and like sort of, um, the, the rhythmic nature and the boom, 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 and the yelling and the five, four, three, two, one, and the counting, um, so that was one of the biggest things that was so different for me about taking her class is the, the sort of conversational vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was, oh gosh, so many things. I don't even really know where to begin, but it was really challenging. It was a humbling experience to be trained by Esther because I was already pretty set in my ways. I already had thousands of hours and years, you know, at least 10 years of teaching under my belt at that point. And now here I was um, being told no counting, no breathing. We don't, we don't talk about breathing. Um, (laughs) you know, um, don't, don't count, uh, like sort of, there was no like rhythmic talking. Even there wasn't that beat driven experience that I was so, that was so ingrained in me by that point. So to, um, have a little more of a, a free form conversational style of teaching was a challenge for me. And another thing that was really interesting. I mean, first of all, the method was really different than what I thought real Lottie Burke was. So I had gone there with a bit of a chip on my shoulder thinking that I knew what real Lottie Burke was. And I kind of, it's another way that I kind of felt like I got my butt handed to me was like, oh no, everything you've been teaching, like you need to unlearn a lot of that if you want to 
go get in the time capsule and like really teach it the original way. You know, Esther will teach a section of class that is so challenging. And then uh, she'll just kind of like stop and she'll just give a break in a very informal way. And everyone will be kind of just sprawled out on the floor after like this really challenging ab set, just chit-chatting for a few minutes. And yet the class doesn't lose any of its potency for those longer breaks because of how intense, you know, the working sections are. Whereas if that was my class, I would be in such a panic to like move to the next thing and like, hurry, hurry, hurry in five, four, three, two, one. Okay, quickly stretch and take a deep breath and let's go into the next. And like, there is just none of that sense of urgency. There's just a much more laid back um, way of teaching that is still like no less challenging. And last thing I'll say, um, I work like, holy smokes, the setups were so much simpler and less um, specific, you know, anatomy cues and things like that. And, and I would be always be pressing for more. Well, like how high are the heels here? Are the feet together or are they apart? Are we turned out or are we parallel? And at one point, Esther actually said to me, don't be petty. <laughs> it was like one of my favorite Esther quotes of all time. Like, you know, and the funny thing is the way she would teach it didn't, didn't give the same level of specificity. And yet my quads were still burning. It was still totally effective. And so uh, it really changed my perspective on teaching. Nail, nailed all of those things. And I think that's such a good insight of what it is like. And then also those revelations of, you know, call, it is the American version of Lottie Burke and mm -hmm. the Lottie Burke original. And the approach of that almost laissez-faire, but like you're dying, you're also dying at the same time. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Yes. Let's talk about having tea after that's great. Oh my God. what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> right. So, but I, the conversation, like what you said, having a conversation and, um, it really struck me and that impacted me a lot. Cause like you, I have a yoga background as well. Um, mm -hmm. you know, in yoga, you're not driving on a beat. You're speaking, you're, you're mm -hmm. talking more philosophy, maybe more emotion than you are anatomy. So it just goes to show I like, you know, this broad strokes of like, you can teach in any style that you want. You don't have to know everything. You don't have mm -hmm. to necessarily be anatomy expert. It doesn't have to mm -hmm. be maybe even so specific, you know, cause during our day-to-day -day life, are we very specific of how we're walking? Is our foot completely parallel? Are we going to turn out? Are we going to step up this way or with that leg? You know, so it gives a little bit more of permission, which is another theme I do want to touch upon mm. you. Um, but so you have your yoga background and your yoga training, and I'm going to kind of zoom this forward into bar and soul. So, um, you know, you trained with Esther. At what point did you know, like, you wanted to start your own um, studio? And what was kind of like the reasoning behind bringing yoga and bar together? Mm, thank you. That's a great question. I had an epiphany after I'd been teaching for about a year. I thought that I, you know, I knew I loved bar and it, it really did help me heal through some trauma that I was healing from domestic violence, you know, really heavy stuff. Um, and I had been finishing up my bachelor's degree after 10 years. I did my bachelor's in women's studies and mind-body wellness, and I really um, was deep in both of those topics. And I thought I wanted to be a women's studies professor. I wanted to get my PhD. I wanted to write books. I wanted to 
have a positive influence on lots of women and have this ripple effect. And I was actually taking a bar class one day. This was my side hustle, my part-time job. And um, I just had like, it, it just hit me out of nowhere. Like, what if this actually was my career? What if I could do all the things that I thought I needed to go be a professor to do? Like, what if you could actually do all of that right here as a bar teacher? We've got all these women gathered in the room. They're coming to the studio multiple times a week. What if you could create this empowering culture? What if you could help women tap into their physical strength and their emotional strength and have a ripple effect out into their lives and create a space where we really support and empower each other? And that suddenly felt really appealing to me. So that around that time is probably when I knew I wanted to have my own studio. And one of the things I say a lot in my book is to take the biggest risk that you can stomach for today. Mm. And um, I did have an opportunity to buy that studio that I first taught at, at the same time that I was interviewing for my management job at Exhale. And it was a real fork in the road because I knew I wanted to have my own studio. And ultimately, I was not ready for all of the risk that went along with entrepreneurship. I had a little too much imposter syndrome at that point, didn't have the confidence to have my own studio. And I needed the steady paycheck and I needed more experience to really build my confidence. And I chose, you know, to, to stay an employee and to, to pursue the management job. And I stand by that choice a hundred percent. I learned so much in my time at Exhale. And when I did go to have my own studio, I was much more ready. So, you know, I think there's something to be said for trusting the journey and not beating yourself up if you're not ready to take the biggest risk ever. It's like all about the appropriate risk for, for now. So, um, so yeah, it was, that was around 2011. And then it was in 2013 when I started my own business, which by the way, I started a program out of someone else's studio. That was, that was at the time, the risk I was comfortable taking. And I just kind of fell into buying a studio from somebody in late 2013. And it just kind of all unfolded from there. It's, I am so happy you brought up risk. When I was reading your book, I was like, Yes, because I don't love the saying like no risk, no reward. I mean, like, okay, like yeah, if I unpack it, sure. Is that true? Maybe sometimes, right? But it seems so harsh. But I love love that you say like take the risk that you can stomach today because whether that's you know just starting to teach or whether it's you know running a business or whatever, mm -hmm. it's all okay. And then also understanding, yeah, or trusting in that journey is so important that that moment, that fork in the road for you sounds like it was like, okay, I know I want my own studio, but not right now. Mm -hmm. I, I need to do this first. And the invaluable lessons you learn as being a manager running another business. I mean, that mm -hmm. that's like going to business school, right? Like you're, exactly. you're learning on the job. So, um, you know, was there ever a risk? I'll kind of flip it. Was there ever a risk that wasn't worth taking? And if so, what lessons kind of came out of it for you. And, you know, you and I both know, even if something was a quote unquote failure, right, it was still worth it in some way. But if there was ever kind of, you don't have to explain specifically what it was, but if there was a risk that you were like, mm, that was not worth taking, what lessons came from that? Mm. Wow, that's <laughs> such a hard one. I love this question because I don't know if I, really have any 
regrets. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, okay. I had a, I had a studio that, uh, a location that just was never profitable. It just wasn't a successful location. Um, and I've had lots of other successful locations that unsuccessful location really took a hit on my ego. So like, I regret it from the stance that it was totally not fun. And although I could look at it as investing in a business education and and learning what I learned from why it didn't work, I still haven't like it's like, I'm not there yet where I just look back fondly and go like, that was such a good learning experience. I'm still like, oh, that freaking location that didn't work out. But, um, again, like uh, hindsight is 2020. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was really a mistake that I did take that risk. I don't, I don't think I, I have any, honestly, That's if, awesome. if anything, I more regret things that I, things that I waited on because I was afraid of what the outcome would be converse difficult conversations. I waited to have because I thought I had to know exactly what the person was going to say and how it was all going to play out. Like, you know, parting ways with people when it was time to part ways, um, and, and waiting longer than I should have. Those are more the, the kind of regrets that I have. So I guess that's regretting not, not taking the risk. Right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. I I'm with you. I'm, I'm somebody that doesn't like to look back and think like, Oh, like I, I wish I didn't, I don't have really any regrets. Um, I'm definitely a hanger on. Like I, I stay in things that I'm like, we're going to work it out. We're going to be there to the end, whether mm-hmm. it is a good choice for me or not sometimes. Um, yeah. But you know, we all have those things, but I think it's a, a healthy way to kind of even just assess like the next risk that we take, because, you know, whether it's emotional or financial or even physical, right. If you're recovering from, you know, something it's a lot and it can be very scary. And so approaching in the way that you say, like, what can you stomach today? Like, what is that Mm -hmm. one tiny little step that you can take today? And if that's zero steps and you want to stay in what you're like, that's also okay. Right. Mm -hmm. It gives you so much um, permission, which I'm almost at those permission questions. But before we get to uh, the book a little bit deeper, um, Bar Guild Academy, you know, Mm -hmm. and I know this, your story kind of weaves in and out of all of, um, I'm kind of not on a strict timeline here, but can you share uh, the inspiration behind starting Bar Guild Academy and maybe share with the listeners a little bit more about what it is? Mm -hmm. Um, Bar Guild Academy is my online bar teacher training program. And uh, the reason that I created it is because I had an awesome in-person training that I ran dozens you know, of people through at, uh, at my studios at bar and soul. So I, I loved our in-person training and often we got inquiries from people around the world who wanted to train with us and they wanted to know like if we could travel to them or things like that, or if we would ever do something virtual. And I just saw there were a lot of trainings cropping up in the space and such a vast array of like methods that people made up that had nothing to do with Lottie Burke or things that you could do in a day or in a couple of hours or in a couple of days. And the trainings that I led uh, at Exhale were 275 hours. So I had been used to extremely rigorous and uh, thorough and super in-depth training. And so I was confused how a training could be just a couple of hours and what could someone really be walking away with. And I just really wanted to do my part for the industry and for these people that were reaching out to me from, you know, different parts of the country and different parts of the world. I really wanted to make 
a really in-depth and rigorous training available for those that really wanted it and those that weren't in my geographic area to uh, be able to come and train with us in person. Hmm. That's so, yeah, I, you know, having done yoga and Pilates training, it's the norm that you're spending 600, 500 hours on these trainings. And I found it really difficult. I had another company many years ago where we would do a three-day training. Mm-hmm. And even that, I was like the pushback and it's something I've always struggled with, you know, and even my own training now it's, it is one day, but then the, I've made it a point that everything afterwards needs to come Mm -hmm. and support that, that if you're not getting it, you're definitely not getting it all in one day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So how can we support your level of, um, or maybe ability to invest in that time and money and all of that and Mm -hmm. I found that always so difficult when you're kind of up against this like I'm gonna you know say cliche gym mentality Mm -hmm. it's like hey let's learn this programming and let's crank it out and it's like okay like Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to compete with so I, I think it's great and amazing what you're doing because it is such a commitment and investment and a deep dive into into the work and into the original work and um there's so much value in that. And, you know, convincing other people to value their time and their worth is like, that's a whole nother um, thing. But you wrote basically a whole book about owning it, right? Own Mm. it all. So what was the catalyst for writing your book? Um, And I just want to say to you that like, um, about the, the trainings is that, you know, I think those that those that want a one day thing or less know that that's what they want. Maybe like you said, with the gym mentality, maybe they are already a trained movement teacher who want just some choreography. They don't want a deep dive. They want, um, you know, to be able to teach something with a bar and not all the, all the in-depth deep dive. Maybe they don't need to learn anatomy. Maybe, maybe they don't need to learn how to teach to music. Maybe they don't need to learn how to uh, manage a classroom or uh, they're not interested in learning all the history. Just like, I suppose there's way, there's probably, you know, scripts that you could go learn choreography to teach a yoga class. And if you're a movement teacher with a good amount of training, you could probably safely put people in these postures and give them a good workout with, you know, with minimal training. And of course you wouldn't have done the deep dive. And, um, so what you're able to teach would be somewhat limited by that. So I just want to say that, like, I think the people who want something brief know who they are. And I think the people who want something super in-depth know who they are. Mm -hmm. So I think it's okay to, um, just serve your people and to mm-hmm. tend to serve up what's authentic to you. And I think your people will respect what you're offering and like, they'll kind of find you and they'll vibe with the reason why you're offering what you're offering. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I'm glad you said that. Cause that is such a perfect point because you're, you know, there's different ways you can meet people in their training and that, cause even going through my yoga training, the first hundred hours we're learning how to teach. And I was like, Oh God, okay, I am here again. This is great. I can take stuff from this, but I also, you know, having done a 600 hour Pilates, I was teaching Mm. for like 10 plus years at that point. And I was like, all right, like I kind of wanted to get into more of the like philosophy stuff. And um, so it was interesting actually going through another training, being at a different uh, place and kind of seeing how everybody uh, 
approached it that way. So that's, mm. it's such, such a great, great point because I get even people asking me like, Oh, do I need to know anything before I come in? Or can I take it if I've already been teaching? And I was like, absolutely. I'm teaching you mm. a method and a philosophy for you to apply to any class that you're teaching. We just happen to be talking about bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Um, I always like to say like replace bar with life and then we're good. Like you can <laughs> just apply it to anything. Um, no, that's so, so, so true. And, you know, even with, um, you know, storytelling and all of that, I'm a big believer in it's the power to, to kind of touch people in a way that's beyond traditional teaching, you know, beyond mm-hmm. just teaching others how to teach even or teaching them a lesson, so to speak. So when writing Own It All, what was your um, process in choosing the stories and even how much of the stories you were going to share? Mm, thank you. I think that I waited probably a, a longer than I wanted to to start writing Own It All because I was so scared to decide which stories to share. And some of my story, uh, as I mentioned earlier, involves domestic violence. And, you know, that had a really big impact on my my journey and on my path. So I couldn't leave that out. And I didn't want to share about it in such a way that was, um, you know, shining a spotlight on, you know, my abuser or trying to, um, bash them, uh, because that just wasn't what I was here for. And I also didn't want to like rekindle any drama or anything like that. So it, it took something to navigate how to share that. And I knew that when I was recovering from domestic violence, I felt like such a loser. I felt like I was so different than everybody else. I thought that this just didn't happen, uh, you know, to, I don't know, normal people. Um, and I really learned a lot about that, how, you know, this is an issue across the socioeconomic spectrum and it's an issue across, you know, race, class, what have you. And, um, and it's not talked about and it's very hush hush. So that was really important to me to share my story so that if somebody was out there feeling alone, like I used to feel and feeling like a loser or like some kind of an outcast or like they didn't belong or they weren't worthy, I wanted them to know that they were not alone. And I also wanted them to know wherever you are now, there's no telling where you could end up. There's no limit on the future that you can still create for yourself. And, you know, for me, uh, domestic violence really caused me to have a rock bottom moment and having a rock bottom moment caused me to take control of my life. And before that, it wasn't quite bad enough to really push me to get in the driver's seat and take ownership of my precious time here on this earth. And so in a perverse kind of way, I've always been grateful that that happened for me. And I've never really felt sorry for myself about it because I'm like, oh, thank God I got out of that situation. I could have spent decades in a relationship that was really not doing it for me and that uh, was holding me back from who I was meant to become. So, you know, I certainly never knew that I would go on to have you know, five physical studios and a virtual studio and an online training and be a published author and have a built a multi-million dollar business from starting with literally 
probably $2,000 in my savings. Um, Never, never would have believed that even if you told me probably at the time, but I knew that there was something better for me. And what happened after I landed in the emergency room was that when I called home to tell, you know, my family about what had happened, uh, I was met with, oh no, what are you going to do? You can't leave. And that was a very pivotal moment for me because I realized like, oh God, my family's not getting me out of this. Um, they don't even think that I should or could leave. Like, uh, it's on me. It's really going to have to come from me if, if I want something better for myself. And, um, that's really where the own it all philosophy came from was just realizing that like, you know what, if you're a busy mom and you're trying to fit in your workouts and you feel like your kids are holding you, you know, like, Oh, but my kid cries every time I go to try to work out. And it's like, yeah, little kids are never going to be like, you know what, mom, you really need some time for yourself. Why don't you go work out? I'll just sit here and like, what, you know, play quietly on the iPad or whatever. But like point is the world is not going to go out of its way to make sure that you get your needs met or that you get out there and tackle your dreams or that you, uh, you know, build your legacy or have your fullest self-expression. And like, you know, Oprah isn't just going to call you out of the blue and be like, you know, I have a feeling you're amazing. Can I interview you? Like, (laughs) you you know, if you want uh, to really make something big out of your life, like it has to start with you choosing yourself and giving yourself permission and putting yourself out there. And you brought me right to my next, the permission. That's a huge theme in the book and a huge theme in your life. And, um, you know, how, how has, you know, maybe like one instance of like, how has permission held you back? And then also how do you want to continue to live the life that you foresee for yourself or your own future by giving yourself permission for that next step? Hmm. Wow. Thank you. That's a great question. You know, I think like there's an expression that we teach what we need to learn. And so this is certainly not like resolved or settled for me. This is something that I, it can be a blind spot for me, in fact. So sometimes I catch myself like, oh my God, what the heck was I waiting for, you know, to move on from this business relationship? What am I waiting for the other person to tell me, hey, by the way, if you, if you wanted, we could end this, you know what I mean? It's like, um, so I have to catch myself doing it sometimes and, um, or, or going into something new, you know, I've, uh, gotten into business coaching recently because I absolutely love working with my Bar Guild Academy graduates. And so many of them have questions on how to build their business from there. And like, I don't know what I was waiting for even to, to develop a program for them. You know, it was like, it was baby steps. First, I started doing one-on-one sessions and then I'm like, okay, literally everyone wants to talk about the same things. Like this would just make so much more sense if we made a small group because then we can mastermind together. And those that know more about things maybe that I don't know as much about, you know, they can really support each other and we can create community. So, but that was something that I dragged my feet forever and, you know, couldn't seem to kind of get rolling with it at first. And then I think it was just like, oh, no one's going to tell me when it's time to start. Like, I just have to choose a time and start it. So I think this is a great question. And I think that 
there's probably ways that I'm waiting for permission right now that I haven't recognized yet. And when I do, I'll be like, duh, you know what I mean? Um, So I think it's just something that uh, to continue to watch for. And I guess the way that I will watch for it and that I could recommend others do is just looking for places where you don't feel fully self-expressed. Like if there's just a feeling, um, there's a book that I love called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it's kind of about writing and writer's block and giving yourself permission to just like sit your butt down and finally write your book. Um, And it's, and, or whatever the other thing is, the business venture that you've wanted to start, the family that you wanted to start, you know, the big move across country that you wanted to make and realizing that you are going to live with this like low grade ick until you just confront doing the thing that you feel called to do and, you know, putting your butt in the chair and, you know, doing the work. So I would say that um, I probably don't know the ways that I'm waiting for permission today. And I will continue to pay attention to the places that there's just a feeling of like a little creative frustration um, or just a restlessness. Uh, Those are probably the places where there's something that is creatively like wanting to kind of be birthed that I need to just own and, and go after. Um, okay, I have my last two questions for you as we're wrapping up. And there are two questions that I ask everybody. Um, okay. So the last one is, I call this like little segment, Heard at the Bar. So it's something that you've heard along the way in your journey, either at the bar studio, outside the bar studio, that you know to be true or something that you want to debunk. You know, we come across a lot of people in our industry and as teachers that we hear a lot of chatter, right? Whether it's about bar or whether it's about, you know, something outside in life. And like you were saying, um, being, you know, a graduate of women's studies, I'm sure you've heard a lot of things even, you know, in the realm of mentorship or even just things people say that you're like, no, 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 no. Like, (laughs) that's not true. (laughs) So is there something for you uh, that you've heard at the bar? Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm sure as a yoga teacher, you have gotten, I'd love to go to yoga, but I'm not flexible. (laughs) And it's like that Batman and Robin uh, meme of Batman being like, and kind of... But it's like, no kidding. It's like saying, I'd like to go to Spanish class, but I don't know Spanish. Like, that's why you go to class is to to get that. So you don't have to fix yourself before you can Mm -hmm. come to yoga or come to bar. Another big one that I hear is I am going to, uh, I've actually had someone in my bar guild program say, I'm going to record my final test out video and send it when I lose 25 pounds. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's not necessary. Right. (laughs) Or like, I'm going to start teaching or I'm going to start posting more stuff on my social media when I lose five pounds Mm. or when I get, I'm going to become a, you know, I'm going to do my bar teacher training when I can hold a, you know, a C curve position perfectly for the entire set without taking a break. I definitely have had people think that Mm. they have to get an A plus in bar class before they could do teacher training. And it probably wasn't until I became a teacher that I realized, oh, no one gets an A plus in bar class because if the teacher's any good, they're just going to push you until you literally cannot do any more. So they're always going to add another set of eight reps until like everybody's maxed out. So I think, um, yeah, this notion that once I lose five pounds, then I'll do public speaking, then I'll 
be credible enough to have my own studio or, you know, um, I have to look a certain way to post videos of myself teaching bar. Meanwhile, there is someone who looks more like you um, that really would love to take your class because you make them feel like they belong. And, you know, everybody is worthy of dignity and belonging. You don't have to look like, quote unquote, the after photo to to belong and to be deserving and worthy of respect and dignity. Um, I think, yeah, so that, that would be. Enough said. Enough said on that. I mean, I'm a talker. I could like talk for, I'm like looking at the clock, I'm like, oh, I could talk for another hour on that. Um, yes, we are all enough and you just own it and do it and don't ask for permission. That is the theme of today's talk. And the last thing, this is my kind of like cutesy little uh, ode to the old magazine uh, articles of like, what's in your bag? You know, (laughs) the celebrities with dish of what's in your bag. Now it's what's in your bar, your B-A-R, and it's expanded to beauty bar, snack bar, drink bar, coffee bar, tea bar, any kind of thing that you kind of can't live without ritualistically or just like you need it to fuel your life and your day. Is there something that is in your bar that you might Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I will share that one of the silver linings of COVID for me was that I finally developed a daily meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And I know that just doesn't sound sexy, or at least it didn't to me. It doesn't even sound fun. It sounds like something you're supposed to do, like eating your, you know, vegetables or taking your vitamins or something. And even though I was a yoga teacher and I enjoyed meditation (laughs) in class, when people talked about having a home practice, I'm like, ew, that does nothing about that sounds fun at all. And, um, I had a friend teach me a different way to go about having a daily practice, which was rather than just setting a timer and trying to sit in silence and like, okay, you know, don't attach to my thoughts, just observe them, watch them come and go. And, you know, it just, and then like, you're trying to get it right. And like, not think, even though you know that it's impossible not to think, and you're not supposed to be trying to get it right. Like just for me, it wasn't, maybe I'm just more of a bar person than a yoga person. Like it was a real struggle. What I developed that finally worked for me, we have these mala beads that we give out at Bar and Soul when someone has taken 108 classes because that's how many um, beads are on the mala strand. And um, I began to use my mala beads to sit and say an affirmation or a mantra that really um, makes me feel good. So I gave a lot of thought to almost like, what do I need to hear every morning to have me feel great for the day and, um, sort of keep coming back to my center, back to my intention to drown out the noise rather than just trying to sit in silence, like Mm. actually kind of drown out the noise with an affirmation. And that has worked wonders for me. And it, and it, you know, I would say one that I really love for all of you teachers out there, whoever have anxiety about getting up to teach, anxiety about getting on social media and saying your message or sharing yourself. Um, One that I say before I have public speaking or anytime I'm feeling like, oh, why did I agree to this? Now I have anxiety. I tell myself my contribution is needed or somebody needs to hear what I have to say um, or somebody needs to hear my story. And that's a great affirmation that really helps me uh, get my ego out of the way and really be willing to show up and serve. So that's been, that's been huge for me. 
Beautiful. Oh, thank you so, so much. This was such an honor and pleasure. And can you share, um, before I let you go, share where everybody can find and follow you. And hopefully there's another book. I'm already like, is there a book too? <laughs> um, but yeah, how everyone can find and follow you. I would say on my bucket list, yes, uh, but no, not in a, any kind of draft <laughs> form yet, um, but eventually I'm sure there will be. Um, I would love to keep in touch over social media. Uh, we are at Bar Guild Academy, and um, if you follow us over there, um, feel free to shoot us a DM. I've been doing these little video segments of bar and life burning questions, which have been really, really fun. So you can submit a question, just DM us. We will put you on the list to get the newsletters, and you can also submit a question if you'd like. And and we can keep you anonymous, but that's been a really fun series to do. So um, over on Instagram, we are at Bar Guild Academy and yeah, just shoot us a DM and let's keep in touch that way. And um, yeah, I really look forward to meeting everybody and, and staying in touch. Great. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you'd like to write into this podcast, send an email to info at barvariations.com. You can follow us all over social media at Bar Variations, and you can also visit the website at www.barvariations.com, where you can find show notes, archived episodes, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.